free beer? Let me tell you how at the end of this spot. From Alter Genius Brewing Company, it has everything for a true craft brewery experience. Try their brilliantly crafted brews, creative house cocktails, cider from a few bad apples, and a full kitchen with a spectacular array of tasty dishes at their brewery in Ambridge. Or try their new trailside tap room on the Montour Trail in Imperial that's sure to have something for everyone with 20-plus different craft beers, ciders, and cocktails. Treat yourself to a brilliantly crafted brew at Alter Genius Brewing Company and tell them Tim Ben sent you for a small pour on the house. Barber school? Do you hate your job? Looking for a change? The Barber School of Pittsburgh may have your cure. Locations on Banksville Road and Monroeville. Day and night classes available and rolling now at bsp.edu. Get your degree in as little as nine months. Financial aid available. Now accepting veterans benefits. Barber School. Yes, Google Barber School of Pittsburgh. bsp.edu. bsp.edu. Again, bsp.edu. Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Kevin Gorman joining us right now here on the Breakfast of the Bands podcast. It's our weekly baseball podcast as we look at the Pirates getting set for a weekend series against the New York Yankees. That's always interesting, regardless of the standings, especially when Garrett Cole is on the mound, the former Pittsburgh Pirate, and that's tonight in Game 1. Kev, what do we expect to see from Garrett? Has he made any promises to Pirates to groove a fastball over the middle like he did to Giancarlo Stanton back in 2013, apparently? I knew that one was coming, Tim. Uh, I was waiting for your fastball. I didn't have to sit on the curb. Uh, I think the Pirates fans should be able to get a look at, you know, a guy who kind of had a you know mixed reaction when he was here. I think fans loved him at the beginning, and then at the end, kind of you know was one of the guys that they blamed for what happened you know in 2017. I think they're going to see a guy who's one of the you know leading candidates for the AL Cy Young Award, and and it kind of gives you an idea of uh, you know of what an ace should look like. And I and I think it's a nice thing that you get. It's a nice thing you get the comparison of a Mitch Keller start on Thursday against the Nationals against a Garrett Cole start on Friday against the Pirates, although ideally you would have liked to have seen the matchup head-to-head. You know, I've never been a believer in some of the 
siren songs that come from pirate faithful who look at teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees and say, see, see, spending doesn't always get you wins. They're both 74 and 73. They're both seven and a half games out of the last wild card spot. But, you know, obviously you'd rather have the money and spend it than not. If they're not spending it wisely enough, that's on them. Why do you think those two teams have gone as wrong as they have, Kevin? Is it just sort of the, the dominance that we see in the American League, specifically in that division? Well, I, I think sometimes it's not necessarily about the teams that are struggling as it is maybe about the teams that had to go through their struggles and now have kind of, you know, built really championship caliber teams like the Baltimore Orioles. That I mean, you know, while the Yankees and Red Sox were thriving, the Orioles were, were going through 100-loss seasons year after year and, and getting top draft picks. And I, I think what it really does is it gives you the the impression that no matter how much you spend and no matter how much you try to buy a team and, and build the best team like like if it's, as if this was fantasy baseball, I still think the best way to develop a championship-caliber team is to build from within and then to supplement once you have you know the right pieces then to figure out, okay, Here's what we need to add to make this team complete, and that's just what the the when they were winning. That's what the Yankees and the Red Sox did when they were winning championships. They they built the teams from within and then supplemented where where needed, and um, and I, and I think like right now the Orioles have drafted really well and have built a team that is very impressive. And I think that's, you know, being that they're in the same division, we, you know, we didn't think twice about it when when the shoe was on the other foot and Baltimore was the team that was watching the other teams outspend them and, and, and beat them, you know, kind of mercilessly. But now all of a sudden when the shoe's on the other foot, everybody's going to start getting fired. Yeah, if you look at the East right now, Baltimore on top by a game over the Tampa Bay Rays and then the Blue Jays. Uh, as the time that we are recording anyway, the Blue Jays are a game and a half out of the last wild card spot in third place in that division. Uh, Texas and Seattle holding the other two in the American League, and then it's the Yankees and Red Sox. Uh, as far as the Pirates go, they got a good series under their belt against Washington, culminating with Mitch Keller, a 2 nothing win for the Pirates. He strikes out seven. He goes eight strong. Boy, it's just been up and down all year for Keller, hasn't it, Kevin? And now maybe an upcycle to end things for him in September. Yeah, he's he's pitched very well lately, um, and, and I thought yesterday might have been one of his better, you know, one of his best performances. Obviously, he had that complete game shutout that I think would go down as, as his top performance. But in terms of efficiency, yesterday that's what really struck me was that this is a guy who I think through six innings had thrown eighty-one pitches. And, and I thought, boy, there's a chance he has a complete game here. And you know, there were some factors involved why they didn't go in that direction. But I'm sure Mitch Keller probably could have done it. I just don't think it was worth the risks that were involved. You know, when you have a close game like that, why put a pitcher out there who's at 90 plus? And, and he he admitted that he was feeling tired, that there was a long eighth inning. Um, you know, that there were some factors that went into it, and that he would have been facing the top of the order for a fourth time. So, you know, why not put in David Bednar when you have one of the game's better closers and, and just and shut the door and, and to get the game over with? So I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, but certainly Mitch Keller really looked it looked really good. And uh, and sometimes you see those strikeout numbers and say, oh, well, he's had better games because he has had a game where he's, he's had 12 or 13 strikeouts. But to me, you know, the, the object is to get guys out, not necessarily to strike them out. 
and, and he was doing that with incredible efficiency. I was listening to their pregame show. Josh Roundtree was hosting on their flagship station, and he made the point, this was going into Wednesday night's game, Kevin, so it was before Wednesday. At that point, they had played 145 games. They were, uh, I believe, 26-24 and 24 in their first 50. They were 26-24 and 24 in their most recent 50, now 28-24 after those two victories. And then that awful chunk in the middle where they were 15-40. and 40. So what's the more accurate representation of who these Pirates are for this year? And maybe the more important question for this run that they've had at the end of the season, how realistic is that to project for next year when they break spring training? I I don't like to project what you see in September for what to expect in April and May. Uh, Simply because, you know, sometimes you have guys who are out there playing for personal reasons. And that's not necessarily talking just about the Pirates, but their opponents as well. They're out there trying to improve their statistics so that if they have to go into arbitration or something like that, they want their numbers to reflect a good season, even if it's you know through a strong September. Uh, I also don't know what the makeup of this team is going to be, how the Pirates are going to add or subtract. And, and so... I, I look at it more based on this. The thing that I like about these pirates is that they play hard. They play hard whether they're playing in April or they're playing in September, and that's a good sign. This is a team that has not given up on its, you know, management. It's not given up on its coaching staff. Uh, it continues to play hard and establish that this is going to be. If you're going to play the Pittsburgh Pirates, you're going to have a team that's going to that's going to be a tough game, re- regardless of whether they're be- better than you or not. Um, so I, I think that's something that's been established. And we looked at September and, and judged the Pirates would say, you know, boy, they've got some serious holes in their pitching staff. And so that's something that really has to be addressed. And, and I think that's a reflection of what happened between, you know, May and, and July is that the pitching staff started to fall apart. And so, you know, that, that's that's to me, the there's the primary things that have to be addressed are certainly first base is, is a, the major hole uh, on the field. And, and, and to some degree in the lineup, but then you have to really get your starting pitching. I mean, you can't just get through an entire season. I, I think I understand what the Pirates are trying to do to get through this season, but you can't get through the entire season, you know, trying to use openers and bulk relief and, and try to get by that way. You know, it, it's, it's a good thing to do when there's injuries. It's a good thing to do when you have a lack of starting pitching depth, but it's not a good plan to go into a season that way. So um, I'm curious to see if the Pirates – you know, based on what they've done in the minor leagues, whether we'll see a guy like Jared Jones get a chance to make his major league debut at the end of this season. And that's a question I had asked Ben Charrington is, you know, what, how much do you weigh that is, do you want, do you want to have Jared Jones come up here and make a start in the final homestand of the season, let's say against Miami, when the crowds aren't going to be very good. It's going to be as good as it's going to get this weekend. No question. I mean, they're expecting large crowds this weekend because of the Yankees and because of the Roberto Clemente day weekend celebrations. So that, that's that's the thing. Do you, do you want to put a guy like Jared Jones, have a make a major league debut, knowing that the, the, the ballpark's going to be mostly empty and that the stakes are going to be very low? That, that might be preferable, but it might also be something where you want to wait until next year, bring him up you know, in, in the early part of the season, and then have him added to your rotation. Back to the Yankees for a second. I forgot to mention Clay Holmes. And when we talk about team building and when we talk about how the Pirates can become a team like the Orioles, 
not holding on to veterans, particularly guys who get pricey. So, like, for instance, Clay Holmes has kind of become their their closer this year. He's got 19 saves. And they gave him up for Diego Castillo and Hoy Park. Do I have that right? No question. Yeah, so, and then Hoy Park does nothing. He becomes an Atlanta Brave. We know about the guys that they all got from the, that the Pirates got for Garrett Cole from the Astros, the best of which became Musgrove. And, of course, they peddled off Musgrove to the Padres immediately as he was getting good. You know, that's the frustration to me, Kevin. Is it's I understand the baseball economics, but if you have to move on from these guys as soon as they're getting good, get better return, and they so rarely get the return that's worthwhile to the player that they give up. Yeah, and, and when you think about the two guys you just mentioned, Holmes and, and Garrett Cole, um, Garrett Cole's trade is the one that keeps on giving for the Pirates. It has not got the return that they wanted by any stretch. You know, the, the guys that they got uh, were, were more stopgap guys and, and were not the solution. But the Joe Musgrove tur- trade turned into bringing the Pirates, David Bednar, a two-time All-Star closer, and Andy Rodriguez, who now appears to be the catcher of the future. So that is a trade that has continued to give on for the Pirates because they made a trade after that of Musgrove. Uh, the Clay Holmes trade is a prime example of just over-trading, of trading guys just because you, you're selling high and uh, and buying and, and you're taking whatever you can get in return. And I, I think Ben Charrington learned a very difficult lesson on that one. He, it's one that he's admitted is, is a regret on his on his end that he made that trade, uh, even though De- Diego Castillo did spend a good portion of last season as the starting shortstop. Uh, you know, the Pirates – were willing to trade him as soon as the season ended. And as you mentioned, they DFA'd Hoy Park. That I, I think that is indicative of why the Pirates didn't make those types of deals at this year's trade deadline, because there was definitely interest in a guy, not only like Bednar, but a guy like Colin Holderman, who I would say would be comparable to Clay Holmes, even though I'd say Holmes is, a, you know, just a, a grade better that I, that I think you know they were looking at is like we don't have to trade this guy. We don't have to make this trade just because we're selling high on a guy who looks good right now. This guy could be an important part of our future, and that's and I think that's the Clay Holmes lesson. And I, I think that's something that could really you know make an impact on how the Pirates move forward as they attempt to become contenders here in the next couple of years. Is that they've learned that they don't just have to trade a guy just because he's performing well. Uh, sometimes that works out very well when you trade a guy like Adam Frazier in his all-star season when he's leading the National League in batting average and you get a Jack Sawinski to compete a Marcano in return. But sometimes you can get a disaster like the Clay Holmes result. Finally, Kevin, is Brian Hayes ever going to get his wish? Are they going to get robot umpires? <laughs> I think that would be a mistake. I, I think human error is part of the, the game. I, I think that the Pirates, uh, this is what I wonder about them. I, I wonder how much they're complaining this season of the umpires. And it, it hasn't just been the players at the plate, you know, being disgruntled about it. It's been the, the coaches have been very vocal that, we, you know, we saw one game where the umpire ejected not only Derek Shelton, but also uh, Oscar Marine and Don Kelly all in the same inning. You know, we didn't even know who was going to be in charge at that point because no one was even sure who was ejected at that point. So many guys that got ejected at once. But I think that, uh, I think if Key Brian Hayes is going to get a wish, it's probably more likely going to be one that he's going to get the gold glove this year at their base for the National League. I, I think his play there has been phenomenal. He's He's been really good since he came back from that low back inflammation injury that he was dealing with. And uh, if you look at you know statistics, metrics like defensive runs saved, 
He's one of the best in baseball. I think perhaps the, the leading infielder and, and clearly, you know, you know, four, four runs ahead of the next guy, Ryan McMahon of the Colorado Rockies. So I think that's what we're going to see for key Brian Hayes. Is this going to be the year where he gets his gold glove, which, you know, it's probably a year or two overdue. Kevin, great stuff. Thanks. We'll do it again next week. Okay. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. All right, Kevin Gorman from Trib Live, our weekly baseball podcast here at Breakfast with Ben's.